gospel. And we looked at Hannah, and then we looked at Anna, and today we are going to continue, and we are going to look at two women in the Bible who actually had a little disagreement amongst themselves, a little conflict amongst themselves. Have any of you ever had a disagreement with someone? <laughs> yes. <laughs> ever had a hard time getting along with someone? Yeah. Maybe some of you have had a friend that you were close, you got along great, and then you had a little conflict and things got a little tense and challenging. Maybe you even had someone you served in church with that you had a little conflict with. Conflicts happen. <laughs> and so if you have had difficulty or even are currently having difficulty in a relationship, I just want you to know this morning that you are not alone. This is not a new problem. We have all encountered these types of things. Everyone who has ever walked this earth has encountered these types of things. And maybe you are here and you're having difficulty in a relationship today. We're gonna talk about some things that you can apply to that relationship. Maybe you're here and you know someone who's having difficulty in a relationship. You're gonna learn some things that maybe you can come alongside as a friend and give some good godly counsel. Maybe you're in neither one of those categories today. You're not having conflict with anyone. You don't know anyone who's having conflict. It's highly unlikely, but if that's you, I guarantee you your time will come. So these will be great tools that you can just tuck away for future use. Sound good? Yeah. All right. You know, first of all, when we are having a conflict with someone, we need to recognize who it is we're having a conflict with. Now, I don't mean what is their name, what is their relationship to us. I mean, are they a believer or an unbeliever? We need to first recognize that because we will absolutely have challenges and conflicts in our relationships with unbelievers, even with family members who are unbelievers. If they don't know the Lord, they are unredeemed. They haven't yet experienced his redemption. They haven't yet experienced relationship with Jesus and his transforming power. So, of course, they're not going to understand our relationship with God right? And if unbelievers persecuted Jesus, he even told us to expect it, that it's going to come even more so to us. If they are unbelievers, they're not going to understand our relationship with God. They're not going to think or behave like a believer, so we can't expect them to. They're not going to pursue purpose like a believer. They're not going to have the same values and priorities as a believer. So we are going to have differences with unbelievers. That's a given. That should be expected. However, as the believer, we're the ones who should give them the example to show them the love of God, show them the nature of Jesus. And even when they're persecuting us or doing things toward us that make life a little bit challenging or a little bit difficult, we need to recognize that they do not know how to live a redeemed life. We can't expect them to, but we need to show them how to the best of our ability. So. If we have challenges with unbelievers, that's to be expected. That is just par for the course, okay? However, today what we're talking about is challenges with other believers. Because they will happen. We're not all perfect. 
I am not perfect. Not one person in this room is perfect. I hate to burst your bubble. <laughs> but even as believers pursuing God, we are not yet perfected. And so challenges with each other will happen from time to time. You know, last week when we looked at the life of Anna, we saw that one of the cornerstones of her life was the fact that she was planted in God's house. She was serving in the house of God. Here at the bridge on last Sunday, we've been talking about being connected in God's house. We're launching a new term of connect groups so that people can get connected. If you haven't seen the connect groups, you should check out a flyer. We have them over at the connect center. Before you leave, you can grab them. There's some great women's groups, couples groups, all different kinds of groups because God intended for us to be connected. But in the course of being planted and being connected, that means that our lives are going to connect with others, and therein lies the opportunity for conflict. We can't avoid connection. The Bible tells us that he who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all sound judgment. It is contrary to God's plan for us to be isolated. He wants us connected. But we've got to know how to deal with conflicts on the occasion that they just might arise from time to time. All right? Anybody understand that conflicts do happen with other believers on occasion? Yes? Okay. But God wants us to deal with them properly. When we ex connect with other people, that are other believers, they are in these flesh and blood bodies just like us, right? They are not perfect just like us. They are still growing in their relationship with God just like us. And in the book of Philippians, we see a situation where two women, believers who were serving in ministry, alongside the Apostle Paul and others, bringing the good news of Jesus to people, ministering to people, had some differences. These two women were named Euodia and Santucci, and they had some differences. If you grew up not liking your name, I think you will think twice. <laughs> Euodia and Santucci. <laughs> and we read about them in Philippians chapter 4. And, you know, here's the final chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And he's been talking at the conclusion of chapter 3 about the return of the Lord, and, and we've got to keep our focus there. And so he starts out in chapter 4 and says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you, and I long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now, I appeal to Euodia and Santucci. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the book of life. These are women. Their names are written in the book of life. They're serving alongside the Apostle Paul. They are preaching the good news. They are leaders in the church at Philippi, and they have differences with each other. Nothing new. Your differences are nothing new. Here they are. They have differences that are significant enough for Paul to notice. Not just for Paul to notice, but for Paul to call them out on it. I mean, in his letter that he's writing to the church, he called these two women out. In this letter that becomes part of our Bible, that is 
for us instruction and wisdom, the inspired word of God for us. For thousands of years, everyone who walks on this earth, we have this letter. And he called out Euodia and Santucci for us to see the example there. Wow, I wouldn't want to be the one called out and written <laughs> for people to see for thousands of years to come. So we can learn from their lives. And you know, Paul, he pleads with them. He strongly urges them to resolve their differences. And he even solicited the help of those around them. Please help these two women. Help them settle their differences. He didn't address one of them and tell her to get her act together and start agreeing with her friend. He didn't take sides. He tells them both to figure it out, to get it resolved, because he knows that it will hinder the ministry. It will hinder the good news from being preached and from spreading. It'll hinder God's plans and purposes. And when we're in the midst of conflict with someone, what do we do? We like to think that we're the one that's right. We're in a conflict because they are wrong. <laughs> Any honest women in the room? We think the other party needs to get on board with us. So very often, conflicts are a difference of opinion, a difference of perspective, a difference of personality, a misunderstanding, where there really isn't just one absolute right or wrong. We just need to come together and resolve the differences. Now, you might think that these two women are a strange selection in our series on lessons on courage from women of the Bible. But I think that their situation is one that every one of us need to learn from because we will all have conflicts with people throughout our lives. And we don't want those conflicts to stand in the way of what God is wanting to do in and through us, right? And so in these verses that continue, after Paul calls them out, in the verses that follow, he gives clear instruction and opportunity for them to resolve their differences. But doing so would really take some courage. How many of you know when you're in a conflict with someone, you just want them to agree with you, to apologize, and to make it better? But for us to do our part, it takes a bit of courage. Now, unfortunately, Scripture doesn't tell us if Euodia and Santucci resolved their differences. We're not sure about that. But the instructions that Paul gave them are being given to us today. The opportunity that they had to resolve their differences are opportunities that we have today. It's an opportunity to rise up, with some courage, and to put those instructions to work in our lives. And you know, the same thing is true for us as it was with Euodia and Santucci. If we don't resolve our differences, it will hinder God's plans. It will hinder what he wants to do in and through us and those around us. You know, those around them were asked to help them. Paul solicited the help of those around them to help resolve their differences. We need to be women who are not just willing to resolve the differences and conflicts in our life, but to give good, godly counsel to others around us as well. And we all have plenty of opportunities for the, that to speak wisdom into their lives because people always want to run to others to tell them about the conflict. And when someone runs to you to tell you about the conflict they're having with someone else, 
We need to be that kind of woman that will just rise up and give them good godly counsel so that they can resolve the issues, right? So let's look at what the instructions were in the following verses that Paul continued to give. First of all, in verse 4, it says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. You know what it means to rejoice? It means to be full and overflowing with joy, true joy, joy that comes from the Lord. It's referring to a calm happiness that resonates on the inside, to be well in your soul and thriving, to gladden your heart. So often, I think we want to sit back and say, okay, God, could you make my heart glad? Could you just pour some joy in? But it means we need to take the steps to make that happen. I love King David. He spoke to his soul. He said, soul, you will not be cast down. You will rejoice in the God of your salvation. We've got to be willing to speak to our soul, to allow our soul to be infused with the joy of the Lord, with his joy that washes over everything, that washes away a lot of things that don't need to be there. You know, in times of worship, we had a great time of worship this morning. That's an opportunity for our soul to rejoice in God and be filled and flooded with his joy, isn't it? Yes. However, sometimes I think that we can sing those words, that we can go through the motions, we can dance, we can lift our arms, we can be dramatic in our praise, but never really allow our soul to engage in rejoicing in the Lord. We need to be careful that we're not just having an outward demonstration of worship, but that our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, the very core of our being is engaged in worshiping and rejoicing in God because that's when his joy will come and flood our soul. I know so many times after a great time of worship, I've talked to different people how, hi, how are you doing? Even sometimes just during greeting times, not here, not here, of course, because no one here would ever do this, but other times <laughs> and talk to someone right after a great time of worship and noticing them just worshiping with all their heart and then during our greeting time, hi, how are you? Oh, all right. Oh, I'm just not feeling good. Oh, God, things just aren't turning around. Wait a minute. Weren't you just exuberantly declaring the greatness of God? I am unshakable. All things are possible with him. Do we believe that? Are we really engaging our soul? Or are we making an outward demonstration? We need both. <laughs> Smile at me. <laughs> It's an opportunity for us to allow the joy, the, the peace that comes along with that, the strength that comes along with that, to really infuse our soul. You see, we cannot be full of the joy of the Lord and be frustrated, agitated, offended, upset at the same time. It doesn't work. There opposites. They're conflicting. When our soul is full of the joy of God, you know what happens? It keeps our soul soft and tender to God. But when we have a difference with someone, a conflict with someone, it can cause our heart to be hardened towards that person. And very often, People have a bit of a hardness towards someone, but believe that their hearts are soft and open to God. The two cannot exist together. When we have hardness in our heart towards another individual, 
It is automatic hardness towards God. Did you know that? Because if we have hardness towards an individual, then we are not allowing God to come and do the work in our heart towards that individual that he wants to do. So we're rejecting God from that relationship, from that area of our life. We're pushing him out. We're pushing him away. We may think, oh, I just have this little hardness here towards her, but I have such a soft, open heart toward God. But no, if we have hardness towards this person, then it's hardness towards God in that area of our life because we're pushing him out of that area. He wants to come in and work in our heart, in that relationship, in that area of our life. But if we keep that hardness, that hardness will eventually spill over into more and more areas of our life, creating more and more hardness in our hearts. Ladies, we've got to recognize how important it is to refuse to allow conflicts and disagreements in relationships with others. And we've got to realize how vitally important and how key it is to let the joy of God be alive and fill our hearts. We've got to let our souls rejoice in him, fix our focus on him, praise him for all that he has done, praise him for that other person who's even causing the conflict in our lives because surely there are good things about that person. They are made in his image and likeness. We've got to allow our lives to be filled and overflowing with his joy. And you know what happens when we do? Very often the disagreement, the conflict will just end up vanishing. Sometimes we hold on to things that we don't need to hold on to. When our hearts are filled and overflowing with the joy that only comes from God, we may realize that that conflict was really just a molehill that we turned into a mountain will realize that it's something that can just slide right off and have that rain slicker courage like we have talked about. We may realize that the enemy just set a trap for us to pick up an offense which will only hurt us, which will only paralyze us and prevent us from going forward into the life God has for us. But when our hearts are full of the joy of the Lord, we'll recognize those things we'll stop and we'll say, wait a minute, I am not picking up the bait. I am not going there. We may realize that we read into a situation things that weren't there because sometimes we can do that. Sometimes we can read into a look, a comment, a lack of comment, a lack of look, and read into it, well, they don't appreciate me. Well, they... Oh, they said that because they don't like, well, I think they did that because da-da-da-da-da. And we read into things. But you know what? When we don't allow the frustration, the agitation, when our hearts are genuinely overflowing with the joy of the Lord, we recognize those things. And we say, oh, I don't really know how they meant it, but I'm not going to read into it. I'm not going to assume anything. That's between them and God. I'm going to go forward in what God has for me. You know, in my life, the joy and the peace of God in my heart is so real to me. It's something that I live with such an awareness of every day. Just his sweet, tender joy on the inside. I'm constantly aware of it. And when it's gone, when I feel agitated on the inside, it is really noticeable to me because that joy and that peace is generally there. So I use that as a cue to stop and say, oh, wait a minute. This isn't the joy and that peace that I normally feel. What's going on right now? And I'll backtrack over the last hour sometimes over the last two hours, over the course of the day, until I figure out, wait, what was it that 
robbed me of that joy? What was it that I set joy aside for to pick up this agitation and recognize it? And then, once I recognize it, then I can make the necessary internal adjustment that I need to make. So often, there are things that we pick up, things that we set aside our joy for that we don't need to be carrying that are just traps of the enemy. And we've got to recognize those things. When our hearts are overflowing with the joy of the Lord, it makes it much easier to notice those things, to be aware of them, and to catch them before they go any further. If we can keep a heart that is full of joy that comes from God, it will help prevent us from living in conflicts with others. Now let's look at the second thing that Paul says as we continue on to verse 5 in Philippians 4. It says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. What he's saying here is we've got to keep an eternal perspective. We've got to bring the situation into alignment with that fact that Jesus is coming soon. We've got to bring it into alignment with an eternal perspective. You know, in God's big picture of things, our lives are but a vapor. They're so short, so quick. We exist for his purposes, not ours. We're here to fulfill his purposes, to reveal him to everyone that we encounter and to draw them closer to him. And when we look at the conflicts in our lives through that eternal perspective, then we automatically know what are the things that we need to let slide off and what are the things that we need to put some effort into working out and resolving. And if there are things that need to be resolved, then, and only then, do we have the proper perspective to resolve them. Then we have the perspective at which to approach those things from. We can't approach conflict from frustration or from our perspective or from our opinion or just from the way we're wired if we want God's result. But so often that's how we approach situations. That's how we approach conflicts. But if we can learn to approach them from a godly, eternal perspective, it will then cause us to communicate, as the first part of that verse told us, in a considerate manner. You know what that word considerate literally means in the original writings? This verse is talking about communicating in a gentle, patient, equitable, moderate way. That's how God wants us to communicate. Is that how we communicate? I have to ask myself these questions as well. So we can all ask ourselves, is that how I communicate? You know, very often we communicate to everyone else rather than to the person the conflict is with. The Bible tells us first to go to that person. We need to catch ourselves, not go talking to everybody else first. Sometimes, our style of communication is explosive. We keep it all in, 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 until then one day the time bomb goes off, and we let it all out on that person, and they're thinking, what in the world just happened? That's not the most effective form of communication. <laughs> and you know what I'm seeing more and more and more lately? is people having really serious communication through texting. Now, I am all for texting, not opposed to texting whatsoever. However, when it comes to a serious uh, issue, 
where we need to hear the tone and the heart of each other, we should not be texting in those situations. I can't tell you how many times just recently, like just in the last two months, I have heard this story over and over where one person tells me, well, I just sent a sweet little text to tell her, you know, this and la, 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 and it was so nice. And then the other person referring to the exact same text message she sent me this text message telling me, la, 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 la. <laughs> because the tone and the heart cannot be communicated, no matter how many emojis you put <laughs> in a text message. I have even talked to married couples recently who have had huge, like, major serious communications, arguments via texting. <laughs> Ladies, there are some conversations that require heart-to-heart -heart communication where you can hear each other's tone. Best if you can see the other's eyes, to see into their soul, see how they're communicating with you. We need to recognize how we are communicating. That was just a free freebie for you, okay? <laughs> Too often, we avoid confrontation. A lot of us just avoid communicating about issues altogether we be, because we believe that confrontation is conflict. No, there's if there's already conflict there, then confrontation can bring resolution. Now, if we approach the situation to confront it out of our flesh, then it can easily turn combative, which is not what we want. However, if we approach talking about, which is what confrontation is, just coming together and talking about a situation, if we approach that from an eternal perspective, then it will be considerate, it will be loving, it will be healthy, it will invite unity, and it will have the potential to draw us closer together. You know, sometimes talking about conflict, talking about issues can be awkward. Anyone ever notice that? Sometimes it can be awkward, sometimes it can be sticky, sometimes it can be messy. But if we keep a right heart and communicate from that eternal perspective, wanting to see God's plan fulfilled, not our plan, not trying to persuade them to our way, then it will be healthy communication. You know, very often when Jesus addressed situations with others, he started by asking a question. A lot of times that's a good idea, to start by asking a question to help them see the situation from an eternal perspective as well. Very often, if we're going to do that, we ask a question that we figure out like how to manipulate them through that question to see our way. That's not what we're talking about. To help them see the situation from an eternal perspective. Ask a question to find out where they're coming from, to show care and concern about that person. Seek to understand rather than seeking to get our way. When we keep an eternal perspective, and approach issues from that perspective with gentleness, patience, consideration, we will be able to diffuse so much conflict that tries to arise in our lives. Let's look at the second, or the third thing that the Apostle Paul says in verse six. He says, don't worry about anything 
Let's just pause right there. We'll continue the verse in a moment. Don't worry about anything. In some translations, it says, don't be anxious. In the original writings, you know what it's talking about here where it says worry and anxiousness? In the original writing, the word used there literally means don't take thought, be troubled with, or seek to promote one's interest. Wow. So let's break that down and talk about that for a minute. He's telling us how not to deal with conflicts. Don't let your thoughts be consumed with them. So often our conflicts with other people end up becoming bigger and bigger and bigger because we allow our thoughts to be consumed with them. Anybody ever notice that? Anybody ever replay the situation over and over and over in your mind? I think we've all done that a time or two. We end up replaying it. And then the more we replay it, what we're doing is meditating on it. We end up analyzing it from every angle. Oh, and then they did this. <gasps> Maybe they really meant this. <gasps> can't believe they did that. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger every time we replay it. We cannot allow our thoughts to be consumed with conflict. We've got to take our thoughts captive. That's what the word tells us. Take your thoughts captive. Bring them into the obedience of Christ. That means bring them into alignment with the word of God. Don't be out there on a limb meditating on the problem. Don't let our minds be caught up with that. He tells us in this verse, don't worry. Don't be anxious. In other words, don't let your thoughts be consumed with the problem. And then we said that that also means to be troubled internally. If we let our thoughts be consumed with the problem, it will cause internal trouble. And we end up, the more we replay it, we allow those issues to hold us hostage with inner turmoil, inner trouble, rather than working towards the solution and we find our stomach in knots, and we find our chest tight, and then we can't eat, or we just want to eat everything inside, and then we can't sleep, and, and we're just a wreck and a basket case. He says, don't do that. Don't let your thoughts be consumed with the trouble. Don't become internally bound up in trouble. And then the third thing that that literally means, don't worry or be anxious, is to not let us be so concerned about our personal interests. Very often, conflicts boil down to wanting our own way, wanting what we think is right. Anybody ever notice that? We get upset so often, or get our feelings hurt, because we feel like someone rejected us, someone neglected us, someone devalued us, Ladies, if we want issues resolved, we've got to be willing to get our eyes off of ourselves. We can't dig our heels in and demand our own way. We've got to be willing to get our eyes off of ourselves. The Apostle Paul is saying, don't let your thoughts be consumed. Don't get into inner turmoil. Don't insist on your own way and your own interests. But ladies, it takes courage to rise up and refuse to do that. It takes courage to refuse to let our thoughts be consumed with the problem. It takes courage not to get in inner turmoil, but to lay those things aside. It takes courage to get our eyes off of ourselves and our own wants and the things that we think we deserve or are entitled to. But it is absolutely necessary if we're going to be the women God created us to be. Let's continue on in that verse, verse 6. After he says, don't worry, then he says, instead, pray about everything. 
Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. We need to talk to God about everything. Pray. That's what prayer is, talking to him. Invite him into that situation. Invite him into that conflict, that disagreement. How do we usually pray about conflicts and disagreements? Very often, we pray, God, change them. God, help them. God, make them see that my way is right. Help them to see that, Lord. But how should we pray in those situations? God, show me where I need to make an adjustment. Show me what I can do to help bring resolution in this situation. I remember quite a number of years ago, I was serving in ministry with another woman, and we had gotten along great up until this point that we had a little conflict. And she began lashing out at me because of some opportunities that had been offered to me that were not offered to her. And the situation became very intense. It was a rather extreme situation, and her lashing out became extremely volatile. And at first, I was definitely worried. I think it is very fair to say that I was quite anxious, even a little bit fearful. But I knew that that was not how God wanted me to live, that that was not going to help the situation. So I began to pray. Now, I didn't know what to do, but I began to pray for her. I began to ask God to show me what I could do in this situation. And I prayed that God would show me what was going on in her life. Help me to see her through his eyes. And I felt like he really showed me that what was happening was a result of some deep insecurities that she had had for a number of years. And I felt like he told me to sow security into her life. I'm like, God, how do I do that? Sow security. How do I do that? Help me. And as I began to ask him for help, he began to show me and give me ideas of ways that I could express appreciation to her, that I could just praise her for a great job she was doing with things, totally overlooking her other behavior, the way she was treating me, ignoring that, praising her for the great job she was doing with other things, finding ways to value her, just beginning to express as much appreciation and value as I could toward her. And I continued to pray for her, continued to ask God to help me to see her through his eyes. I began to thank God for her and the blessing that she was and the gifts that he had put within her. And do you know that over time, it was a bit of a process, but over time, that relationship totally changed. And where there was friction and lack of unity, there came unity and peace, and we once again had a great relationship. Sometimes things are awkward. Sometimes things are difficult. But if we are willing to open up our lives to God, to pray, to ask him for help, he will come and invade those situations. He wants to work. He wants to pour his unity, his greatness into our situations of everyday life. You see, prayer invites him in, and it opens the door for his power to work in our lives. And so the Apostle Paul he calls out these two women, and he urges them, work out your differences. And then he goes step by step through these things that will help them work out their differences. And then, once these things are put to work, then he says what the result will be in verse 7. It says, then 
you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You know, we talk about this verse all the time. We all want that peace that passes all natural understanding. But we don't always realize the context of the verse, that it's right on the heels of all of these things that he's laid out for us to apply in our lives so that we can have healthy relationships refusing to allow our relationships to become unhealthy or divided. And then once we walk out all of those things that we talked about in verses 4, 5, and 6, then you know what happens? We do automatically have that peace because we know that regardless of their response, regardless of what they did, we have a clean heart. We've done our part to bring resolution. And their part is between them and God. And we can move forward from there with the peace of God. And when we get to that place, when we're going to move forward, we're full of God's peace, we've done all that we know to do, and we're trusting God, or maybe we've seen the resolution at that point. Do you know what the enemy does? He doesn't want us to move forward. So he's going to be right there with that thought. Well, don't you ever forget what they did. He's going to constantly try to remind us, try to get us to go back to that place of conflict. And so, in verse 8, Paul addresses that very thing. In verse 7, he tells us, then, this is what you'll experience. And then verse 8, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. He's saying peace will continue with you if we continue to keep our minds and our hearts on the right things. Don't focus on the other person's flaws. Don't go back to revisiting the conflict and what happened and the hurt and all of that. Focus on the things in them that are praiseworthy. Focus on the good in them, and that will keep a pure, clean heart in us and continually pave the way for peace and unity. Ladies, we need to take some instructions that were given to Euodia and Santucci and have the courage to apply them to our lives and to our relationships so that we will not hinder what God is wanting to do in and through our lives and the lives of others around us. We need to pursue peace with others. We need to pursue unity. We can't afford to have divided relationships. The Bible says that where there is unity, that's where God commands his blessing. Let's do our part. Let's take Paul's advice to these two women and be courageous enough to apply it to our lives and see God command his blessings in every area of our lives. Amen? And I just feel like maybe there's some of you here today. Maybe it's one, maybe it's a handful of people who are dealing with difficult situations and relationships right now dealing with conflict in relationships. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, oh, great, now I've got to do some work. You know what, let me tell you. We've been given the Holy Spirit as our helper. That's what Jesus said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to abide with you and in you as your helper. We need to allow 
him to help us and ask him for his help. Not take the burden and the weight of it on ourselves, but just come to God and let him help us. And when we do that, he will. He longs to help us. He longs to bring unity and blessings in our lives, in our relationships, even far more than we want. He longs to do that. We don't have to figure it out on our own. We just need to allow him to help us. I want to pray for you this morning. Let's just bow our heads and just make your own personal place of prayer right there. Father, right now, God, we just open our hearts to you. And Father, I thank you for your word, which gives us truth, gives us wisdom and instructions for every area of our lives, including how to deal with conflicts and disagreements in relationships. And Father, I pray right now for any women here this morning who are dealing with this, who have some conflicts in relationships. God, I pray that by your spirit, you would speak to them. You would show them their part, what they need to do to soften their heart, to be willing to bring resolution. God, help them to see the situation from an eternal perspective, I pray. God, I pray that their hearts would not be in turmoil over this any longer, but God, that they would just receive your joy and your strength and be able to allow things that need to slide off to slide off and be able to deal with things that need to be dealt with from a healthy perspective. God, invade. Invade. God, I'm just asking for every relationship represented in this place that's in conflict. God, I'm asking for your supernatural intervention, healing, and restoration in Jesus' name. Father, help us to be women who will be courageous enough to do our parts. And God, we trust you to do your part in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And ladies, while your heads are still bowed, maybe there's some of you here today and, and you've